Okay. So I remember one time I was an assistant pastor over at First Wesleyan Church when it was down in town, and, and, uh, and I was talking to a guy, and, uh, and I told him, you know, that the Bible says that we're all sinners, right? And I've all fallen short of the grace of God. And, and so in order to come to God, in order to have the power of God in our life, we have to be confessing. We have to confess our sins, confess the fact that I'm a sinner. I don't have it all together. Okay, I'm broken. I'm, I'm actually, I left by myself without the grace of God. I do deserve hell. Okay, because God is perfect and heaven is perfect. And why in the world would he let me into his heaven to mess it up? It's like, I need redemption. I need to be changed. I need for his power to be in my life. And so I got to get honest. I got to get on the same page as him and confess to him, yes, I agree, God. I get it. I'm a sinner. And I tell you what, that's step one is to realize that I'm powerless. And, I, and, I, and I, my life has become unmanageable. That's true for anybody, whether I've had a, an addiction or a, uh, or a controlling thing in my life. I am powerless and I need to confess. And this guy looked at me and he says, I'm a sinner? <laughs> and I go, yeah. <laughs> like thousands of years of theology has not changed. This is still a fact. And he goes, he just couldn't, he just couldn't absorb it. He's kind of like, really? I'm, I, what is it? What, what, what's the word? What's the theological term? Bill, you're going to have to tell me. Uh, we're all fallen. We're all, uh, huh? Depraved. We're depraved. And I said, we're all depraved. His name was Scott. <laughs> I said, Scott, we're all depraved. And he goes, oh, he was so he was so taken aback. It's like, I cannot picture myself as being depraved sinner. It's like I always just thought, you know, they told me in the fourth grade that I was a great person. I was the best at everything, and and they gave me participation trophies just for showing up, and I was all that. And I just said, no, oh, Scott, the self-esteem movement does anything but build self-esteem. It just it just makes us all into well-adjusted criminals who just love ourselves, you know? We just really love ourselves. But until we really realize, I need to confess, I need, I need to... You know what confession literally means? It means to agree. That's what it means. And so biblically, confession means to agree with God with the fact that he is holy and I'm not. He's God, I'm not. He, he is righteous and I'm unrighteous. I'm, I'm a sinner. I got to agree with that. Otherwise, there's no basis. If I'm going to show up on God's doorstep in all of my glory, in all my pride, and say, oh God, let me into heaven. Why should I do that? Because I'm me. Look at my participation trophy. Yeah, I'm being a little sarcastic, aren't I? I'm just feeling it. It's a spiritual gift. It's like, Oh, you're not going to get anywhere with a holy God that way. You're not going to get anywhere in life. That is part of our addictive personality, our addictive mindset, is to think we're all that. I'm, I'm unique. The rules don't apply to me. Right? I'm special. I'm special, so I can do 
I can do how I'm a, I'm a good person just because I exist. No matter what I've done, no matter who I've hurt, I'm a good person. It's like, you know what? It's just time to throw all that aside and just realize, you know what? I am a sinner. And I need a common agreement with him. Let me tell you a story. Uh, Jessica McClure was in the news a long time ago. She was this 18-month-old little girl from Midland, Texas, and she fell into this deep, abandoned well pipe. It was, oh my goodness, I don't know how she survived, but she did. And you could hear her down there, she was conscious. Some of you might remember the news from way back when. There was about 400 people who took part in the, in the rescue attempt. And, uh, and it took 58 hours to rescue little, uh, little Jessica out of the bottom of the well or, or the pipe, whatever that pipe was. And, uh, and it went straight down. It was a well pipe. Yeah, so it was a well. And she had been crying in anguish, and it could be clearly heard at ground level. I mean, it just carried all the way up this pipe. Now, I found, find it fascinating that at one point, a critical decision was made. Okay, the rescuers decided that the rescue actually had to have two parts. Okay, part one was to send somebody down the pipe to be with Jessica. That was the first thing. Before they sent a rope down, before they sent a ladder down, whatever they were going to do, they had to send a person down just to be with Jessica. And I find that really interesting. As soon as possible, they needed to do that. And then phase two is actually getting her out of the well. Phase one was driven by the knowledge that people tend to do and think strange things when they're trapped alone in a dark, scary place for long periods of time. They couldn't leave the 18-month-old down there, but it wouldn't matter how old she is. They needed to send a person. They got, people will get disoriented and their fears will get blown out of proportions. They'll panic. Uh, their minds will play tricks on them. Sometimes they start doing self-destructive things. Sometimes they just give up. So the rescue experts decided that they needed to get a person down there to be with her as soon as possible. Then they would turn their attention on how they were going to get her out of the well. And the plan worked and eventually Jessica was rescued. Now, what's that got to do with step five? Can we put step five up here? Step five says, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed, James 5.16. We admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. That's step five. What's this story have to do with step five? When people like you and me, when we get serious about recovery, about spiritual growth, when we get on the 12-step spiritual journey, adventure, when we take that first step, when, when we admit that we have some problems that make our lives unmanageable, it's not just everybody else, you know, I tell you what, let me tell you another story in the middle of the story, okay? Once upon a time, there was a guy, don't lose track of Jessica, we're going to get back to her, okay? Just keep that, put it on the shelf. Once upon a time, there was, there was a, a little town in the olden days when people used to just ride a horse or walk everywhere. And uh, there was a guy on the, on the main road into town 
And uh, he lived there. He lived and he would sit out on his front porch watching all the people kind of come by and go on into town. And uh, one time this, this, this guy came along and said, hey, old man, uh, what, are, what are the people like in this, in this town I'm about to go into? And the, and the old man would say, well, what were they like in the last town you were at? And he goes, oh, they were great. Just everybody's friendly. They were nice, you know, and, uh, and I just got along with everybody. And the old man goes, well, you'll pretty much find that's the way it is in our town. You know, same kind of, same kind of people. And so he went on and he goes, oh, good. Thank you so much, sir. And he just goes on into town. The old man's sitting back here, racking in his chair. Pretty soon another guy, another traveler comes along. He's coming into the town. And he goes, hey, old man. He goes, yes, sir. And he goes, what are the people like in this town here that I'm about to go into? And the old man goes, well, what were they like in the last town? And he goes, oh, they're rude. They're nasty. Nobody had any time for you. Boy, they're looking at you cross-eyed. One kid stuck his tongue out at me. And it's like, man, I just, well, I couldn't take it. I had to leave. And the old man said, well, you'll pretty much find them like that here too. Wherever you go, there you are. If you, come, if you keep running into problem after problem after problem, if you keep running into obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, you keep running into one broken relationship after the other that just kind of blows up on you, you might look in the mirror. Okay, a little bit of truth there. You know, I, I've been there. I've had, to, I've had to realize it's like, you know, it's probably just me. Because I keep running into it all the time. So back to Jessica. When you and I get serious about recovery and about spiritual growth, and we get on this 12-step spiritual adventure, and we take that first step, when we admit that we have some problems that make our lives unmanageable, we admit that we got to look in the mirror. And when we turn to God and we say, God, I need help with those problems, then we might feel as though we are free-falling down a pipe. And in a sense, we are. We're out of control in a way. We can no longer live the way that we're used to living. We, we're not on ground surface. We're below the ground. The old ways just don't work anymore. And to complicate matters on the way down, you find that the problem that you admitted in step one is really being driven by a whole collection of character defects. <laughs> We're back to Scott in the office. Oh, my depravity, my sinfulness, where all of, this, all of these issues, these problems, this, this addiction that I confess to, it's really being driven by this whole collection of character defects which have been growing five feet under the surface of my life. And you have to identify those defects. You need to inventory them. That's what we've been talking about last few weeks. And as we've talked about for the last two months, really, you have to list them, admit them, own them. You need to take responsibility for your pride, for your anger, for your envy, for your lust, your greed, your gluttony, your sloth, you know, the big seven, your victim mentality, uh, your good person stance. I'm a good person no matter what I've done, so therefore it doesn't matter what I do. Your unique person stance saying that the rules don't apply to me. Your fear of exposure, your lack of time perspective. I'll get into that in a minute. Need to identify these things. So during the last couple of months, 
We've been talking about step four and working through step four honestly and thought thoroughly. And you might be feeling as if you're trapped at the bottom of a deep, dark well, like Jessica. If you stay there long enough, you can get disoriented. And wonder why you, why you even took this recovery journey in the first place. Why do you even get started in this? Why did you start coming to this thing? <laughs> uh, you might feel like you want to bail out at this point. You might start making statements like this. You know, I am a really royally messed up guy. Or truth about me is I'm a royally messed up woman. No one's collection of sins and character def defects is as bad as mine. If anyone ever found out the truth about me, they would, they would never have anything to do with me for the rest of their life. Some of you get to that point and you say, why don't I just bail out? Why don't I just skip it? Why don't I just, just quit? Why don't I just go back to projecting an image of adequacy and I'm cool and, and every, to everybody and not deal with all this unsettling truth about myself? It's too painful to get honest. And it's at this critical point in the process, remember Jessica now, that we need to get another human being come alongside us in that well as soon as possible. Look at what step five says. We admit it to God, to ourselves, and to what? Another human being. That's the relationship. Jessica needed another person down there. You need another person down where you are. You need, you need somebody to come alongside of you in that well to get someone next to you before you give up and back out, back in, go back into denial. Okay? Do not leave the program that you're in, the situation you're in, the circumstance you, you are in uh, without ever coming out of denial because you'll just go right back to the same thing. Break the denial. Start climbing uh, and, and get with somebody. In a way, the fifth step says that you can only grow so far by yourself. Then you reach the point that continued growth and healing is going to require assistance from someone else. We're right at that critical juncture tonight. We're at the point where we are being asked to come clean by telling another human being the truth about who we really are. So how? Well, we need to confess our wrongs. My first step is to confess my wrongs. Tonight's we have an acrostic. Uh, your note guide has the acrostic on there. And uh, let's go to the acrostic up here. C, see, acrostic is, means the first letter kind of goes in the word. You know how it spells confess going down. That's an acrostic. So C is confess your shortcomings, resentments, and sins. That means agree with God. Obey God's direction, that's O. N is no more guilt. F is face the truth. E is ease the pain. S is stop the blame. S is start accepting God. So uh, if you don't get them all down right now, we're going to go through them one at a time. Letter C is confess your shortcomings, resentments, and sins. God wants us to come clean and admit that wrong is wrong. That we're guilty as charged. We need to own up. We need to own up to the sins that we discover in our inventory. For the person who confesses, shame is over. Realities have begun. Proverbs 28 
uh, 28.13 tells us, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. Trying to play it with this image in front of everybody, and I'm all that, and I'm cool, um, and I'm strong, and I'm powerful. Trying to play that up in front of everybody does not prosper you spiritually, does not move your life forward any. Okay, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them, pretending like I don't have sin doesn't handle the sin. Okay, pretending I don't have problems or issues or character defects does not get rid of them. Okay, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy, the mercy of God. Confession is necessary for fellowship and our sins have built a barrier between us and God. Letter O. Letter O is obey God's direction. Confession means that we agree with God regarding our sins. Confession restores our fellowship with him. Principle four sums up how to obey God's good direction in confessing our sins. We confessed or admitted our faults to ourselves, to God, and to someone we trust. As surely as I am the living God, says the Lord, everyone will kneel before me and everyone will confess that I am God. Every one of us will have to give an account to God. Then we do what we're instructed to in James 5.16, confess your sins to each other. So we obey God, his direction to get real. That's basically what he's saying. He says, confess. He says, get real, get honest and let another and to another human being. Okay. You don't have to get up in front of everybody, grab the microphone and say, here's all my sins. Blah. Okay. <laughs> puke them all over everybody. Everybody's going, yeah, yeah, them on me. Okay, you don't have to do that. You find a safe person, maybe somebody who's got, maybe a, is a kind of a spiritual leader in your life, somebody who's got spiritual authority, somebody who's, who's strong in their recovery, and, and talk to that safe person and bring your confession there. And that's obeying God. Letter N then is no more guilt. Because this principle can restore confidence, our, can restore our relationships. It can allow us to move on from our rearview mirror way of living that kept us looking back all the time and second-guessing ourselves and others. Romans 8.1 says that we are assured that there is no condemnation for those who live in union with Christ Jesus. How do you live in union with Christ Jesus? Confess. Amen. Confess, repent, believe, receive. Okay? Amen. The verdict is in. All have sinned, yet God declares us not guilty if we trust in Christ who freely takes away our sins. There's no condemnation now for those who live in Christ. So that's the C-O-N of confess, the con. The con is over. Okay, we follow God's direction on how to confess our wrongs. Now we're going to go into fess. We're going to fess up. Okay, and after we fess up, we, we will have four positive changes in our life. The first is that we're going to be able to face the truth. I'm going to be able to face the truth. I don't have to live in la-la land anymore. I can face the truth. Amen. Uh, it's been said that man occasionally stumbles over the truth, but most of the time he'll pick himself up and just continue on. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not it. That's not how recovery works. Recovery requires honesty. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, whoever... Uh, follows me will never walk in darkness. Walking in the light is honesty. But whoever follows me will have the light of life. 
Have you ever noticed that a person who speaks the truth is always at ease? I don't have to remember what story I told you. You know, Abraham Lincoln, I think he, he's attributed a lot of things like um, never believe anything you, you see on the internet. I don't think Abraham Lincoln said that. <laughs> but here's another one that I think he might have said. He, uh, he said, uh, I, don't, my, I don't have a good enough memory to be a liar because I can't remember all the lies that I would have told. And it's like I would have contradicted myself, get caught every time. That was the idea. So somebody who lives in the truth is always at ease. And so the next positive change that confession brings is to ease the pain. We are only as sick as our secrets. That's an AA saying, and Celebrate Recovery says it. We're only as sick as our secrets. Uh, when we share our deepest secrets, I got tired of being, I, I tell you what, I'm a pastor, and I get up here and I say, I'm in recovery from addiction to porn and sex. Welcome to church. You know, I don't know how people take that. I really don't. Uh, but I have a feeling it, it makes some people squirm and, and feel a little uncomfortable. And you're a pastor. And I, I decided I just could not live in secrecy anymore. I, I couldn't live the double life. I'm just going to get honest. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess it. To, to my sponsor, I'm going to have a sponsor, I'm going to have accountability partners, and I'm going to confess it to my congregation, I'm just going to be real. And God has given me, there, there is freedom and fellowship. God has given me freedom, he's given me victory. Praise God for that. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, I don't want to be sick. So don't live in secrecy, Scott. Uh, when we share our deepest secrets, we begin to divide the pain and the shame. A healthy self-worth develops that is no longer based on the world's standards, but on the truth of Jesus Christ. That's where self-worth comes. It doesn't come from participation trophies for just existing. It comes from being established in Christ and being in the truth and being in the light. That's where self-esteem comes from. Pain is inevitable for all of us, but misery is optional. Amen. Psalm 32 says, There was a time when I, let's see, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Right? What's he talking about? He's talking about sin. When I kept silent, when I wasn't honest about my sinfulness, my bones wasted away like I was dying, spiritually, even physically, through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. That's the thing that, that God is kind of like. A lot of people try to run away from God because they feel the heavy hand of conviction. It's like when, as a pastor, even one as flawed as me, sometimes I'll walk into a place and everybody's like, oh, no, watch your language, the pastor's here. You know, it's like, oh, oh, uh, hey there, uh, Padre. You know, hey, your holiness, you know. <laughs> and uh, all right, bye. You know, and they don't want to. They don't want to hang around because there's just something about pastor that brings conviction, and it's not the pastor. It isn't the. Pa it is the man. It's God. They're running away from God, and they see somebody that they think kind of represents Him, and it's like, uh, I don't want to be there. And and that's because of this. God's hand is heavy on them. They're feeling the conviction of the Spirit. 
And all they want to do is get out from under that. And it's like there's no getting out from under that until you confess. Until you just get real. Until you repent. Until you turn to him and not away from him. Because then you can find forgiveness and freedom and joy and no more guilt. And easing of the pain. My strength was sapped as in the heart of summer. Then I I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I got real. I applied the fifth step, fourth principle. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And that is like, oh, thank you, God. So good to get this off of me. Because, you know, look at that board. This is, and this is such a simple thing, but we always talk about, you know, here's my sin, right? My sin, my sin, my sin, my sin. And, and we're just like, stay away, God. Don't look, you know? But if we just confess and say, here it is, God, and I know what it is, it's sin. What does he do? This is the blood of Jesus, the magic eraser wiping out all my sins and giving me a clean slate. Listen, a court of law may not just get up and uh, pardon you or declare you not guilty, but when you come to God and you confess to him, you have a clean slate. You have a clean slate before him. Ease. The first S, then, in confess reminds us that we can stop the blame. It has been said that people who can smile when something goes wrong probably just thought of somebody they can blame it on. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Walter, you know, is a plumber, and I'm going to use your joke. Uh, but yeah, you probably know what's coming. He says the first rule in plumbing is to establish blame. You got to figure out who to blame first. You know, it's like it's like when you go up and you show up in the at the house and the and the and the toilet's all backed up. You got to look at it and say, which one of you had too many burritos? <laughs> you know, sorry, that was gross. <sighs> but establish blame. Um, But the truth is, we cannot find peace and serenity if we keep on blaming people and blaming others. And even even going overboard on self-blame. It's like, just be confessional. It is what it is. It was my garbage. Now it's God's. Okay? Our secrets have isolated us from each other long enough. They have prevented intimacy and of all of our important relationships. Jesus says this in Matthew 7. He said, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and fail to notice the plank in yours? Can you picture that? It's like, David, oh, you got a little... Do I have a plank around here? I need a plank. I didn't bring one. David, you got a little speck of sawdust in your eye. And here I've got this plank sticking out of my... Oh, David, oh, why do you keep bouncing your head like that? You know, it's like, man, that must hurt. You know, I got this big board sticking out of my eye, and I'm trying to criticize you. It's like, oh, you, you don't see things clearly. <laughs> You're all screwed up. Uh, you, you don't have a good perspective, and you have this sin in your life. 
but I've got a plank in my own eye. Jesus said, how can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye when there's a plank in your own. Take the plank out of your own eye first, then you can see clearly enough to remove your brother's speck of dust. I can stop the blame. Then finally, the last S shows us that it is time to start accepting God's forgiveness. It's time to start accepting his forgiveness. And once we accept God's forgiveness, we're able to look others in the eye. We see ourselves and our actions in a new light. We're ready to find the humility to exchange our shortcomings in principle five. For 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them. Goes for women too, by the way. Okay, no longer counting people's sins against them. He didn't count them against them. He blotted them out. That only applies to you when you confess, repent, believe, receive, right? If you ask me to sum up the benefits of principle four in one sentence, it would be like this. In confession, we open our lives to the healing, reconciling, restoring, uplifting grace of Jesus Christ who loves us in spite of ourselves. And 1 John 1, 9 reminds us that if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, will forgive us our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. Maybe you came tonight a little fearful of having to think about confessing, sharing your inventory, getting real, getting honest, admitting that you're a sinner, letting down your facade of I'm so cool. Um, but I hope you've been encouraged. I trust you've been able to see the benefits of this task before you. Uh, am I going to take the time to do that? No. So what I am going to take the time, though, is this. In your, uh, in, in your chairs, in the pockets ahead of you, there's, uh, there's the circle maker cards that Walter was talking about, and then there's these uh, decision cards. And sometimes we refer to these, and uh, on here is a decision uh, that you can indicate, this is a decision I am making tonight. In red letters it says, today for the first time I'm asking Jesus Christ to forgive my sins. That means I'm confessing them. I'm asking him to forgive them. I'm recognizing that I am a sinner. Okay, I'm not so special and unique. Some of us, we think that we're so unique. The rules don't apply to us. And, uh, um, and so, and so my alcohol or my drug use or my gambling or my, my, my habits, my, they, make, they make me specially cool. This unique person stance kind of feeds our addiction. Okay, and we believe that if I think it, then it must be that way. And, and, uh, and I will commit sins because I think I'll never get caught. That's this, I'm so unique. When we get to a place of getting real, we get rid of, 
the kind of the criminal mindset or the addict mindset. We get rid of the dysfunctional mindset and realize that none of those things were making me especially cool. They were just making me a special kind of special. <laughs> Today, for the first time, I am asking Jesus Christ to forgive my sins, come into my heart, be my Lord. I want to be a true follower of Christ, allowing him to save me, heal me, direct my life, and fill me with his life. Today, I commit myself to an ongoing, living relationship with Jesus Christ. He opens that up to you. He invites you, and he says, come to me. Get real. I can take your sins, though they be scarlet, and make them as white as snow. I can wash them away. Jesus has, Jesus has that cleansing kind of power to make you new. So let's pray. On the back of the card is a prayer. I'm going to lead you in that. And if that is your prayer... And you want to mark the card, you can put it in the, in the joy box at the back. Joy box! Joy box at the back! Joy yeah, box. joy box! Joy box! We all cheer because it's joy. Let's pray. And if this is your prayer, pray it with me, okay? Follow after me. Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life. I open the door of my life. And receive you as my Savior and Lord. And receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for forgiving me of my Giving me eternal life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. We have prayed in five minutes. Yeah, God. God is good. Hey, do you know this one? God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. Amen. Okay, five minutes. We're going to have.